everybody. Hello, welcome back to another episode. <laughs> welcome back. How are you, Anna? I'm good. How are you, Anna? I'm good. I'm trying to think about what has changed since we last talked, and it's been a while, but nothing. <laughs> it has been a while. I guess for those of you who don't know, we have switched up the cadence. We're doing one episode every three to four weeks now, as opposed to every two weeks. This one's already late compared to the last one. Yeah, we're sorry. We're trying our best, but we love doing it, so we want to make sure we get it out for all of you. Yes, and the more time also just allows us to work on our episodes a bit more and, you know, make sure that they're up to par for all our listeners. No subpar content here. (laughs) No, no way. (laughs) I'm trying to think about it. Yeah, what's happened? Nothing, my friend. Nothing all that interesting. Classic pandemic life. Yeah. Oh, I was trying to find leggings. I didn't like the ones from Peloton, but I bought a pair from New Balance I really like. Oh my gosh. New Balance has cute stuff now. I don't know when that happened. (laughs) This is amazing because every time I think about myself wearing New Balances, I think about a phase of my life where I legitimately did not have it together. Like, I would roll out of bed in college, throw on my white New Balance sneakers, which I thought were... Which I thought were really just would work. And they were very functional, but very not fashion forward. And then I would throw on my like jeans um, and a sweatshirt, hair in a messy bun. But let's be real, most days it wasn't even jeans, it was sweatpants. And that was my life. <laughs> We've all been there. I've been there. The pandemic has definitely brought it out in me. <laughs> but has it brought it out in you? I guess it has brought it out in you, New Balance level. <laughs> right? I know. They have really cute stuff now. Um, I'd check them out. They have also more than just shoes, which I didn't know. Yeah, I did not know that. Okay, <laughs> I actually do have something I want to share. If anybody out here is a fan of the occasional, or not occasional, frozen pizza, I have found what I think is the best frozen pizza. And it's by Home Run Inn. Yum. And you can buy them at Whole Foods. And it is a top-notch frozen pizza. So that is my pro tip for this episode. Home run in. Oh my gosh. It's a good frozen pizza. Because I like to have a frozen pizza in my freezer for those days when I just can't. Yes, actually though. I am the same way. Anna knows this very well. <laughs> Sometimes you're just, you just, the what your energy will allow is a frozen pizza. And home run in has the best frozen pizza. I would recommend. I'll have to check it out. All I right. love pizza. I know. We should order a pizza. I would love that. We should do one of these together and we can order a pizza. I was just thinking that, Anna. Or we could do this together and also another night we have to go out for sushi again. The two of us. Yes, Hannah and I, we went out to sushi with some of our other friends. And Hannah and I accidentally, without talking to each other, wore matching outfits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I posted on the Instagram. It was just so hilarious. We both take off our coats and I just start laughing. (laughs) it's like nice we didn't even buy those together like it was like separate purchases from each other like yeah yeah and lit- and we don't even meet up that much in person so the probability of us matching was low minimal very minimal and it happened <laughs> we're meant to be we are meant to be meant to be anna i love it <laughs> <laughs> so what is new with you hannah oh boy i'm trying to think here you know i am proud of myself for something i'm proud of you too I don't know what it is, but I'm sure I'm proud of you for it. 
All right, 2021 was a tough year for me personally, just trying to get out and get some physical exercise and like taking care of myself that way. And I feel like 2022, I've just been a bit more consistent of just getting outside, just getting in like 20 minutes to 30 minutes most days of the week. So far, it's been pretty good, even if it's just a walk. That's awesome. I feel like that's been my big update is that consistency is I, I've noticed it in the last couple months. So. I am proud of you. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it. I've just noticed it has had such a great impact on like my general mood and my general outlook yeah. on everything. I really, yeah, there's sometimes I struggle with it. Just getting some physical activity in my day makes me feel so much better. There are days where I'm just like, I just tell myself, I just have to just walk. Just at the very minimal, even if it's a slow walk, just do it. I'll bargain with myself. I'll be like, just just run a mile. And then yeah, most of the time, once I start running, I'm like, all right, I, like, I feel great. Like, let's keep going. Every once in a while, I have a day where I just cannot do more. So then you just run the mile and call it a day. That's an awesome milestone. Right? Exactly. You just take yeah. what you can get. <laughs> My bargaining is walk to the coffee shop to get a vanilla latte. And then I if mean, you want to keep walking, you can keep walking. <laughs> that sounds way more fun, actually. I like yours better. Unfortunately, the coffee shop was across the street, so it would be, <laughs> be a short walk. Um, when I started first working out, I thought in order to improve my physical fitness, every time I worked out, I needed to go as hard as I possibly could. And if I didn't, I wasn't getting a good workout. That is not true. You should not do that. Like, you do not need to do that. It is good to mix up workouts of varying intensities throughout your week. Anna, I completely agree. It's crazy that you bring this up because I was literally having the same thought yesterday after going to the gym. Like I went to the gym and I remembered how I would try to tell myself, oh, I have to go faster this time. I have to go for a longer distance this time. In the past, I would do that. And what it would do to me is it would make me not as motivated to return to the gym or return to a trail because I felt this pressure from myself. And now my outlook is, okay, I should just enjoy myself. I should just try to I should just try to sit into the activity and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a way better outlook. Uh, if you go your hardest absolutely every time, first of all, you're probably gonna get hurt. Second yes. of all, you're just gonna make yourself miserable. And if you're miserable, yes. you're gonna dread doing it. I agree all around. All right. Now should we actually talk about our, our thing today? Yes. <laughs> All right, Anna. So do you want to go ahead and introduce the topic since you came up with it? I do. So I was just watching some TV. I was watching some sci-fi. I was watching Foundations. It's on Apple TV. I started watching Foundations because I paid for Apple TV to watch Ted Lasso. So <laughs> <laughs> Gotta use it. <laughs> Gotta use it. I was watching Foundations. It's a TV show that's based on a book by sci-fi, very famous sci-fi writer, Isaac Asimov. He wrote iRobot among a myriad of other things. But I started thinking, I was like, oh, we should do an episode about hyperspeed mm-hmm. or warp speed. It's called a bunch of different things throughout all different types of science fiction. Essentially, it's just a ship traveling through space at a speed that is faster than that of the speed of light. And I was curious, I was like, what is the history of this? And also, is it possible? So I thought it might be interesting to do an episode on it. Yeah. When Anna proposed this topic to me, I was beyond excited. I responded with four exclamation points. Because <laughs> <laughs> at first I was like, oh, I don't know. And then Hannah was definitely on board. I was like, sweet, because I think this will be really fun. It was exactly that. It was a lot of fun. 
All right. So you ready to learn whether or not hyperspeed is possible? Yes, let's do it. But before that, should we formally introduce ourselves? Yeah, we should probably tell everybody what our names is, <laughs> what our names are, <laughs> and what this podcast is. Good call. <laughs> All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. All right, everyone. I'm Henna. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is, but, but it is rocket science. science. You ready? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so the big question, I'm sure you are all thinking, is, is warp speed actually possible? And before researching this episode, I actually didn't know. And unfortunately, it's one of those situations where the answer is both a yes and a no, which I know (laughs) nobody likes, but I will tell you why. Also, just as a quick caveat, when we say warp speed, hyperspeed, we're just going to treat the words as interchangeable. Warp speed, I think, is what they call it in the Star Trek universe, and hyperspeed is what they call it in the Star Wars universe. They both represent a similar thing. We're going to use the words interchangeably. I'm sorry if that is upsetting to any science fiction fanatics out there. We are trying our best. (laughs) But they both stand for traveling faster than the speed of light. And so to understand this, we need to go back to everyone's favorite theory, general relativity. Woohoo! Woo! (laughs) I talked about special relativity in our episode about black holes, which is episode 40. If you want to learn more about special relativity, go back and listen to that episode, because I'm not going to dig too much into it here. But here is a very brief summary of general relativity. So the theory of general relativity was discovered by Albert Einstein. He actually first wrote about it in 1915. And one of the principles of general relativity is that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. So the speed of light has a constant of C, and it is 299,792,458 meters per second, or 186,282 miles per second. Either way, it's really fast. Another keystone of general relativity is the idea that massive objects would cause a distortion in space-time, which would be felt as gravity. In the case of our universe, planets alter space-time. That is why they have gravitational fields. So general relativity, large objects alter space-time, nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. Yes. Very quick summary. (laughs) That was an awesome summary. And if you want to learn more about massive objects changing space-time, you can also look into our gravitational assists episode. That also talks about the fabric of space and how it's warped with a heavier object. It's really cool, and I would recommend you look into it more if you're interested, but I'm not going to go into it here because we've talked about it before. So the main question here is how does this relate to warp speed? Well, the first thing is, if warp speed and hyperspeed is traveling faster than the speed of light, that violates general relativity. So how is that possible? Is there a way to do it without violating general relativity? And that's a really interesting question that I'm going to get into in a bit. But first, I actually want to break down how you could achieve warp speed and hyperspeed. So the idea behind warp speed or hyperspeed is, is there a way to compress space-time in front of a ship while expanding it behind the ship? If you could do this, theoretically, you would go faster. And the device with the ability to do this is called the warp drive in the Star Trek universe. I believe it's called the hyperdrive in the Star Wars universe. However, it is used all over science fiction. So how does compressing and expanding space-time increase your speed? And I'm going to explain this with an example. Imagine that the distance between two points is 100 feet, about 30 meters. If you're traveling at one foot per second, it would take you 100 seconds to travel from point A to point B. 
But now imagine that you could have compressed that 100 feet down to 10 feet or 3 meters. Traveling at the same speed of 1 foot per second, it would only take you 10 seconds to travel between the two points. Cover the same distance, you've just shrunk the distance. Another way that I think about this is that if you draw two dots on the opposite sides of a piece of paper and then you fold the middle third of the paper under, the two dots are now closer together, but that paper, if you unfold it, is still the same length. All right, so the thought that comes to my mind is how do you compress that distance down? Yeah, we're going to get there. (laughs) Shockingly, it's incredibly complicated. What? (laughs) I know. Now, what's interesting about this is technically this doesn't violate general relativity because you're not going faster than the speed of light. You're still traveling in the two points example. You're still traveling at that same one foot per second. You're just shortening the overall distance you have to travel. However, to an outside observer, it would look like you exceeded it because you traveled 100 feet in only 10 seconds. Right, but to you, it's a shorter distance. So relative to you, it looks like you've covered less distance. It's confusing because we get into relative speeds. Yes. So to you, who's traveling between points A and point B, you are traveling at one foot per second the entire time. You have just shrunk your distance. However, to somebody watching you, they're like, wait, I don't get it. How could you go? Like, it would look like you're accelerating because you traveled the same distance, but in a way faster speed because the person who's watching you isn't part of that space-time being compressed. Yes, and if this still is a little confusing, then definitely check out episode 40, like Anna mentioned earlier. It will make more sense because we break it down a lot more there. This concept's really confusing. What to gain here is, is that we have not changed our speed. We have just changed our distance. Because we did not change our speed, this does not violate general relativity. Now, obviously, I don't think going 100 meters in 10 seconds would exceed the speed of light. (laughs) (laughs) However, over much larger distances in space, it could do so to the relative observer. All right. Hannah kind of already got here. She beat me to it. This is great and everything, but how would we warp space-time? And interestingly enough, in 1994, Mexican theoretical physicist Miguel Alcubierre wrote a paper published in Classical and Quantum Gravity titled The Warp Drive, Hyperfast Travel Within General Relativity. It is only four pages long, and it is a very interesting read, and we will make sure to have it linked in the show notes for you. I'm going to read you my favorite quote. It is easy to convince oneself that if we define this relative speed as the rate of change of proper spatial distance over proper time, we will obtain a value that is much larger than the speed of light. That doesn't mean that our observers will be traveling faster than light. They will always move inside their local light cones. The enormous speed of separation comes from the expansion of space-time itself. Alcubierre is kind of just breaking down and confirming what we just went through, that it doesn't violate general relativity since we're not going faster than the speed of light. However... He then goes on to discuss that in order to warp space-time, you need something called exotic matter. What? I know. (laughs) (laughs) What is exotic matter? What an exotic term. (laughs) I was reading his paper. I was like, really not sure what exotic matter is here. This is where things get particularly interesting. There are actually several proposed types of exotic matter. Who knew? But what I think Alcubierre is referring to is matter that has physical properties that would violate all known laws of physics. For example, matter with negative mass. So right now, 
all matter, all things have mass. Like, to exist as matter, you have to have some kind of mass. An object that has negative mass, an existing matter that somehow has less than zero mass, would violate all laws of physics and would be classified as exotic matter. So from Alcubierre's paper, it seems the exotic matter he predicts you would need for a functional warp drive is matter with a negative energy density. So energy density refers to the amount of energy stored in a material. And while there are many types of energy stored in materials, this concept is most easily understood with combustible fuels. So for example, burning 10 pounds of wood would create energy. However, you could create even more energy by burning 10 pounds of gasoline. Therefore, gasoline has a higher energy density than wood, because you can get more energy from the 10 pounds of gasoline than you can from the equivalent 10 pounds of wood. Make sense? Makes sense, but negative energy density does not make sense. (laughs) I got so confused. (laughs) So now negative energy density gets really tricky. And to be honest, I don't fully understand them. However, they have been shown to exist in certain circumstances. One of them is the Casimir effect. This is incredibly complex, so if you're interested, research it yourself or read the article I linked in the show notes. I'm not trying to scare you from it. I'm just trying to say I read it and I got very confused. So I'm not going to dive into this. However, a really quick overview. If you have two mirrors facing each other in a vacuum, so space would be a vacuum, what do you think would happen? Hannah, don't read ahead. If they're in a vacuum... You have two mirrors facing each other in in space, in a vacuum. Okay. Is anything else nearby? No. Then they would move towards each other. So why do you say that? Because of gravitational pull and because the mirrors have mass. So technically, the reason they move towards each other is because of a negative energy density in that system. The system of space? The system of the vacuum? Like, the system of their two mirrors being in space. Okay. That they move towards each other represents a negative energy density. So technically nothing should happen. But you were right, they do move towards each other. However, that was shocking to scientists. And the reason they move towards each other is because of something called the Casimir effect. Because of this, it proves that there is a negative energy density. Negative energy density. Anna, my brain hurts. I'm trying to understand. I know. I I know. I'm also really confused. However, if you are more curious, please Google the Casimir effect. It goes into this in far more detail than I am qualified to provide you or understand. However, what's important to gain here is two mirrors and space attract to each other because of the Casimir effect, and therefore we have negative energy densities. So negative energy densities are possible. They do exist. What is an important thing to note here? Negative matter at this point in time, we have never seen that. I don't even know what that would be. I'm still not sure about what a negative energy density is. (laughs) But anyway, forging ahead. Alcubierre theorized that if you could create a large negative energy, it could be harnessed to compress and expand space-time, allowing for warp or hyperspeed. However, to create enough negative energy necessary, Alcubierre theorized you would need a lot of mass. Like a whole lot of mass. Hmm. He predicted it would require the mass of the entire visible universe. That's a lot of mass. Yeah. What led him to predict that much mass? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's the idea that you would, in order to compress space-time, you need a whole lot of energy. And to create all that negative energy density, you need a whole lot of mass. Okay, and at that point, the visible universe was also limited. Or I guess it's just the largest number he could think of. I'm unsure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I think he was trying to say is it's too much mass to be feasible right now. Mm-hmm. But don't give up hope yet. In 2021, physicist Eric Lentz published a paper also in classical and quantum gravity titled Breaking the Warp Barrier Hyperfast Solitons in Einstein-Maxwell Plasma Theory. There's a lot going on in this paper. However, to summarize, in this paper, Lentz derives a solution to compressing and expanding space-time that does not require negative energy, which is really cool. Interesting. Right? However, at this time, it only exists as a mathematical model. Which does not mean it's not possible, but it does mean we have not done it. And so until we've done it, we can't prove that that math works. So, long story short, I do actually think that warp speed may exist someday. And before reaching, before researching this episode, I, I would have theorized that it was impossible. Like if somebody on the street asked me if I thought hyperspeed was something humans could achieve, I would have said no. But I think we can do it. I don't know if we can do it anytime soon, but I do think it is possible. That we will one day do it. So. Wild. The more you know. The more you know. I'm so curious to check out this article, Breaking the Warp Barrier. It's really interesting. It is a lot, though. Yeah, like, I'm curious what exactly... The first theory was based off of this negative energy. But what is this second theory based off of? I'm so curious. It's really interesting, and I will not lie to you, it was above my head. Okay, yeah. That's no problem. I'm sure it's going to be plenty above my head, too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Hannah. Hyperspeed might be your niche. Niche. Hyperspeed (laughs) might be your niche. I think just maybe fun YouTube videos and some cool stories about (laughs) hyperspeed. Otherwise, it's all, like Anna mentioned, a lot of it is based off of quantum principles, which is a whole field in itself. We're not quantum experts here. But I'm sure there's plenty of resources out there if you want to understand it in depth. Agreed. Exactly. Well said, Hannah. Thanks, Anna. All right. Are you ready to hear some history? I am. But do you want to take a quick break first? Let's do it. Let's do it. I want to get a quick snack. We'll be back. We'll be back. All right, everyone. Who's ready to hear some history of hyperspeed? I am so ready. I'm literally so ready. Okay, bring it on. All right, let's get into it. So honestly, when I started researching this portion of our pod, I was not expecting how far back this concept goes. I'm, I expected maybe 30 years of history, but no. The term hyperspeed, um, as Anna mentioned, also known as hyperspace, subspace, subspace, jump space, lots of terms that can be used interchangeably. I was trying to do research for this and I was just like (laughs) typing in all the words. (laughs) Right? (laughs) There's so many. There's a whole bunch. Um, Yeah. So this concept of hyperspeed actually dates all the way back to 1931. Whoa. Yeah. Is that prohibition? Isn't that wild? It was actually... Right after Prohibition. I think Prohibition was 20s? No, it ends in 33. (laughs) 
the one oh thing I know for certain. <laughs> Anna, very good. I'm very proud of your historical knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I know what that is. It's prohibition. <laughs> It's funny you say that because I'm actually going to do the same thing that Anna does in a lot of our episodes where she'll set the scene historically and talk about what else was going on in history at that time. So I'll get to that in just a minute. So, yeah, back in 1931, this concept was published in a magazine, which was called Amazing Stories Quarterly. And this specifically was a science fiction pulp magazine. So pulp magazine isn't a very common term. And I bet it isn't used at all outside of the U.S., so I'll define it real quick. Pulp or pulp fiction means standard or ordinary quality literature. So it's nothing spectacular or refined. It does, it essentially just does the job. And pulp literally refers to cheap wood pulp paper that magazines used to be printed on. So essentially, Amazing Stories, isn't that wild? I did not know that it actually meant cheap wood pulp paper. I'm thinking of, like, you go to the grocery store and they have books sometimes in the checkout lane. And they're like 99 cents or a dollar. You know what I mean? I'm Mm -hmm. thinking that that's what this would, like, would fall into the category of pulp. Or would the old category of pulp. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, That's a really great example. I never knew that. That's so interesting. Yeah. So Amazing Stories Quarterly was this pretty inexpensive, typical science fiction magazine. So in 1931, hyperspace was specifically in the story titled Islands of Space by John Campbell. Now, before I dive into the history anymore, I wanted to historically set ourselves like Anna does, and I love it. I'm so excited. (laughs) Woohoo! So let's just understand pretty quick here what else was happening in the 1930s when the first idea of hyperspeed came out. In the 1930s, the first frozen foods were sold in the U.S., so that was news to me. The first wideband FM radio was also invented. News to me. And a fun one here, Pluto was discovered and announced a ninth planet in the 1930s. Yay! Pluto is still a planet. It's just a dwarf planet. I will die on this hill. (laughs) Dwarf planets are still planets. If you want to hear our saga about Pluto, you can check out episode 32 titled The Tragic Demotion of Pluto. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. It's tragic. (laughs) One of our season three episodes. All right. And then what else was happening in the 1930s was that the first intercontinental commercial airline flights started occurring. That's cool. Which is huge. That is huge. So I thought that was awesome. You Quite know, the it's decade. funny because I, I always just assume frozen fruit foods, <laughs> frozen foods. I always just assume frozen foods and intercontinental flights were older than that. I didn't realize that. It makes sense because right? refrigeration is actually a fairly new concept and so is flying. But I forget yes. that sometimes. Yes. Oh, man. Frozen foods is a game changer in my life. I do not yeah, know what I would just... do without my frozen foods. <laughs> I was just talking about frozen pizzas. <laughs> no. Not even knowing what was to come. all right so let's get back to hyperspeed okay so like i mentioned earlier hyperspeed was brought up in the story islands of space which was about a 22nd century physicist and his mathematician assistant and two engineers who worked together to design a spaceship that would use a molecular motion drive to travel faster than light so it sounds like a really fun read 
After the story's debut in the magazine, it was published in book form in 1957. And you can actually find the story on Amazon for 99 cents on Kindle or like 12 bucks on in paperback. <laughs> I'd probably buy it on Kindle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or check my library first. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good idea. Um, the 1956 story is actually 89 pages long. So, Whoa. yeah, I was expecting it to be short, like a magazine article. But yeah, I was surprised. And I went ahead and read the Amazon reviews for the story. And a reader named Robert M. described it as, I'm going to just say it here verbatim, old school sci-fi. It's a mix of totally fantastical stuff. The faster than light drive, molecular beams, telepathy, some hardcore physics and astronomy, circa 1956 and some imaginative speculation about imagine about alien worlds it's also very dated in the sense that the author does not foresee the great advancement in digital computers that is so interesting so take what you will if it sounds intriguing i'll have a link in the show notes and you can check it out (laughs) all science fiction is interesting to me but particular older science fiction because so much of what they write is still what's current like we're still writing about sci-fi isn't that wild? Yeah. But at the same point, we've had so many advancements, but we're still mm-hmm. dreaming about some of the same things we dreamed about 70 oh plus years gosh, ago. Oh my gosh, yeah. Actually, I mean, it just uh, helps me appreciate the human imagination, you know? Me too. I know. That's a lovely way to say it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so let's continue. Hyperspeed continued to be referenced in sci-fi works through the 1940s and 1950s. Notably, in the 1950s, it became a reoccurring space travel theme in a number of space operas written by E.C. Tubb. A space opera is a subgenre of sci-fi that specifically revolves around dangerous space adventures and self-sacrificing space romance. I didn't know that is what it was officially a space opera. Mm-hmm. I'm learning so much. I did not know the subgenre space opera. That was a new term that I also learned. I have heard it, but I didn't realize that it was an actual genre with a definition. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was looking it up, it was specifically about like warfare in space, uh, lots of fighting, love. The classics. Yeah. The classics. <laughs> the same <laughs> stuff you get not sci-fi stories about. <laughs> yes, actually, though. <laughs> All right. Moving on. In the 1970s, hyperspeed became the most common form of faster-than-light travel in sci-fi, especially because of our very beloved Star Wars series. The first time hyperspeed was visually depicted in cinema was actually in the movie Dark Star in 1974. This is not part of the Star Wars series. This is separate. Dan O'Bannon, a special effects artist, designed a scene in the movie Dark Star where the spaceship goes into hyperspeed, and he designed this scene by making it look like stars were moving towards the camera incredibly fast. And I actually found this video on YouTube. You, The whole movie for Dark Star is on YouTube, so you can oh. go watch it. And I forwarded through to find the scene where the ship goes through hyperspeed, and the stars are just buzzing by it, and it has just huge... Uh, huge amounts of lightning strikes everywhere making it look super suspenseful and exciting and oh wow the ship is going really fast so it was fun it was very cool for the 70s and what i found hilarious was the amount of smoking that was going on in the spaceship definitely not allowed (laughs) in space 
But it was a true testament to the cigarette industry in the 70s. It'd be like, you're going to light something on fire. You're probably in a very <laughs> oxygen-rich environment. Please don't do that. Like, <laughs> it made me laugh. Me too. Fod everywhere. Foreign object debris. Particles. Actually, though. Yes. Everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. The 70s. Oh, so good. And then a few years after Hyperspeed's cinematic debut in Dark Star, the Star Wars franchise used it in 1977 in their first movie, Episode 4, A New Hope. If you haven't seen it recently, you really should. I watched it in the last few years and had a huge appreciation for the effects they were able to pull off back then. Also, for those of you who don't know, Star Wars is an example of a space opera. So, new vocab alert. Fascinating. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. Yeah, the old Star Wars movies will always have a special place in my heart. Yes. And now you know it's a space opera. You can pull that out at your next I dinner will. party. I will. <laughs> I'm going to pull all this out. I've already, anno- I've already annoyed the heck out of everybody I know, so we might as well might double as well. down. <laughs> Anna, let's be real. It makes you look extra cool, okay? That is definitely... <laughs> I agree, which is why we are friends. <laughs> All right. So since the 1970s, the concept of hyperspeed has become a lot more popular in mainstream sci-fi. You might think of interstellar when you think of really fast space travel as some recent uh, form of entertainment that's come out uh, that uses hyperspeed. But that movie actually makes use of wormholes, not hyperspeed. And wormholes are tunnels that warp space and time to essentially become shortcuts in the fabric of space. Yeah, I think we should do it. They are different. Thank you for pointing yes. that out, Hannah. And I think we should do an entirely different episode about wormholes. I would love that. <laughs> I don't actually know that much about wormholes. So I think that would be a really interesting one. Yeah, that would be really fun to do some research on. I agree. Agreed. All right, Anna, that's all I have for the history of hyperspeed. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yes, I would love to. So you can find us online at butitisrocketscience.com. We actually sell merch. You can go to the shop tab and you can see all our merch. We have a whole new fun. We're not changing our logo, but we have another design for our merch that was designed by our friend Sarah. We will put her Instagram in our show notes for you if you want to check out her other work. She's actually a really incredible artist. And then you can find us on Twitter at ButItIsRS. You can find us on Instagram at ButItIsRocketScience. And I forgot to mention, if you want to contact us, if you want to say hi, if you want to give us future episode topics, if you want to chastise us for using warp speed and hyperspeed interchangeably, <laughs> <laughs> you can go to the contact us page on our website. On top of everything, we do have a Patreon under, but it is rocket science. We fully understand that times are really weird right now, and they've been weird for a long time. So there's no pressure at all. We are just happy you're here. All right, Hannah, you want to kick off our sources? Yes, I would love to. All right, everyone. So I had a few sources here. The first one that I have a link for is the Dark Star movie on YouTube. Some other links I have are the Wikipedia pages for Hyperspace, Pulp Magazine, and the Historical Dictionary of Science Fiction. I also have the sciencefictiondictionary.com listed. Another Wikipedia page for the 1930s science and technology. And then also a Amazon reviews page for Islands of Space. All right, Anna, how about you? I have a Wired article that goes over the Einstein's theory of relativity. I have an article from EarthSky.org all about warp drives and the chances of faster-than-light space travel. I actually have that paper linked that I described earlier by Alcubierre. The warp drive faster 
<laughs> the warp drive, hyper fast travel within general relativity. That paper is really interesting. All the papers are really interesting, but that one's only four pages, which I think helps a little bit when it's very complex. Um, I have the Wikipedia article on exotic matter. <laughs> and then I just have an article that compares the energy densities of different combustible materials, just for reference. I love it. Right? And then the Wikipedia article about energy density, if you're curious about a more in-depth definition. A physicsworld.com article about the Casimir effect. That's all about negative energy densities. And then I have that last paper linked by Eric Lentz. Breaking the Warp Barrier, Hyperfast Solitons in Einstein-Maxwell Plasma Theory. Fantastic. All right, Anna, should we close it out? Let's do it. Until next time, space cadets. T-minus three, two, one, liftoff! Liftoff!